Big Bertha. It's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. Now, the legend just got even easier to hit. The new Big Bertha irons from Callaway are powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction, to deliver easy launch, long, consistent distance with incredible sound and feel. This is by far Callaway's easiest to launch distance iron ever. Get big time distance now. Experience Big Bertha irons today at your local golf shop or at callawaygolf.ca. Police in Quebec are promising a crackdown after a brazen mafia-related murder. Salvatore Scopa, the brother of an alleged Montreal mafia leader, was gunned down in early May at a busy Laval hotel. In the wake of that killing and following a string of mafia hits in recent years, Laval police are teaming up with the RCMP and Quebec's provincial police in an attempt to crack down on organized crime. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We look at what led to Scopa's death, what sparked the spate of violence, and what the focus of the police task force will be. If you've already subscribed to this show, and I hope you have, please spread the word. Tell your friends that they can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their favorite shows. Paul Cherry is a crime reporter with the Montreal Gazette. So Paul, what can you tell me about Salvatore Scopa? Most significantly, he's the brother of uh, Andrew Andrea Scopa, who uh, has for a long time been a leader in the Montreal Mafia. Back when Vito Rizzuto ran things, uh, Vito Rizzuto had a very broad umbrella and he kept all kinds of groups uh, happy underneath his leadership. And Andrea Scopa is from uh, the Calabrian side of things. Uh, Vito Rizzuto is, is from Sicily, originally from Sicily. And Andrea Scopa is uh, a Calabrian. In general, the, the they don't get along, but uh, for some reason they were able to work well underneath uh, Vito Rizzuto. And Andrea Scopa was one of the Calabrians who was able to work uh, very well underneath Vito Rizzuto. He was very close to him, very high up in the 1990s and uh, around the 1990s or around the year 2000, 2001. I would hear that he was as high as, you know, number five or number six or in, within the top 10. So where does Salvatore fit in all of this? You have his brother, Salvatore, who is a more uh, complex figure. Uh, he, I've always seen him as an outsider. Uh, uh, the Andrea Scopa was recently arrested in a major, major drug trafficking uh, investigation where he was alleged to be selling uh, kilos of cocaine out of um, a big uh, condo complex attached to the, the Bell Center where the Montreal Canadiens play. During when that thing was in court, they had a bail hearing for, for Andrea Scopa. And uh, they talked about his relationship with Salvatore and he, the, the, an investigator said that they don't get along. The brothers don't get along. So he's this very, very complex figure. He's often been tied to the mafia. Whether he's a member or a made guy, to use the common term, uh, that's debatable. Uh, but uh, he certainly was close. And then something strange that happened. Uh, there was an, another investigation here called Project Mago where investigators found that the the Hells Angels, the Montreal Mafia, and street gangs uh, were working together, all together as a one happy family, to sell uh, cocaine, uh, sell drugs in, in Montreal. During that investigation, the police got these very, very interesting uh, conversations recorded uh, inside a lawyer's office, a lawyer named uh, Loris Cavalieri. Uh, one of the alleged members, uh, heads of the mafia, uh, Leonardo Rizzuto, uh, Vito Rizzuto's son, uh, 
worked out of that office on the August the 20th, 2015, you had the three, basically the three of the top guys in organized crime in Montreal talking freely, assuming that their conversations would never be recorded in a lawyer's office. They were talking about problems that they had with a guy named uh, Gregory Woolley. He's, Gregory Woolley is one of the most connected guys uh, in Montreal. He's connected to the Hells Angels. He rose up through the street gangs, and he was part of this conversation with Leonardo Rizzuto and, uh, and uh, Stefano Solicito. They were both alleged to be, at the time, the heads of the Mafia in Montreal. During that conversation, they were discussing all these problems, and Sal Scopa came up. And what were they saying about him? They were trying to look, find out who could take over or who could get handle their end of, of drug trafficking in eastern Montreal, uh, very specific parts of it. And um, his name came up as a, as a candidate. It seemed that Gregory Woolley and, and Stefano Slichler were, were, were dead set against this. And they, they were even, as his name continued in the conversation, they were clearly considering the, the possibility of killing him. Hmm. Uh, I believe one quote was, uh, let's put a bullet in his chest, something like that. And what was very interesting, also in the conversation, is that Leonardo Rizzuto decided no. He basically, I think he, he might have saved, at that time, saved his life. So what was it that had these guys so dead set against Salvatore Scopa? Basically that they didn't trust him. Uh, I believe they even ter- used the term liar. Uh, he has the nickname, uh, he had the nickname Mental. I believe that was for a reason. Um, I'd written a story that about he was involved in telemarketing, uh, some kind of telemarketing fraud, and a guy who he was competing with against uh, in a suburb here in Montreal, a uh, uh, very very quiet tree lined suburb. Apparently, crossed they crossed paths at one point, and uh, he basically chased the guy in the in the street in broad daylight and uh, pummeled the guy right right there in the street. He always seemed to be a guy capable of uh, very extreme violence. He became known in Montreal from this uh, uh, case that got a lot of headlines. He and a bunch of guys kidnapped a guy who was tied to the mafia. Again, it shows you he, he, he always had inner conflicts within the mafia. They kidnapped a guy, held him for like a day or so, and uh, tried to beat, uh, beat him up uh, in such a way as to convince him to pay uh, a $60,000 debt. I believe that's the figure I have in my memory. So he, he's, he was always capable of, uh, he seemed always capable of extreme violence. And shortly before they had that conversation, I believe he was being investigated for a possible double homicide. So what would have led to Scopa being shot and killed recently in Laval? Sure. I, I should mention that they, someone tried to kill him uh, a couple of years ago uh, in a city north of Montreal. He was at a restaurant and uh, a guy who is now charged, a guy who's believed to be for organized crime and possibly a hitman for uh, one clan within the, the Montreal Mafia. He waited until the guy came out of, until uh, Scopa came out of a, a restaurant and shot him. I believe he shot him in the arm. And so he escaped uh, that attempt on his life. And the police had warned him previously that the, there was a contract out on his head. People have been asking me for the past two weeks, to be honest, and I say the, the lineup of possible suspects must be extremely long. It could come from anywhere. What, what happened that the day that he was killed? Can you break down kind of what happened in this hotel, what was going on? It seems that there's, there was um, 
two or three major receptions going on at the hotel. It's a Saturday at around 10 o'clock. He was having a, a reception for his family some, uh, to, to celebrate some kind of uh, uh, religious ceremony, either a, be it a baptism or a confirmation or first communion. I'm not clear on what it was. There was a, in another room, there's another reception room. I believe there was like a reception for a, a hockey team celebrating their season, I believe. He was walking out. The, the reports are that he was walking out of the uh, the reception hall. Might have been greeted at the door uh, by uh, the shooter or shoot, uh, two shooters or a shooter and his accomplice. He was apparently struck at the door and went back into the hotel to save his life. And this person, whoever did it, followed him into the uh, into the reception hall area and just continued the pursuit and s- several shots were fired. Uh, whether Scopa uh, replied uh, with a firearm, I, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've heard one report of that, but I, I haven't had that confirmed by the police. Um, anyway, several shots were fired and you have you have children, you have innocent people. I believe there are even like there were police officers who were part of the hockey uh reception that was going on uh, it was quite crazy it's to, and especially when there's women and children around it's it's not something you see it's not something you see every day in montreal it's uh really quite quite rare now was anyone else hurt in this or or luckily did did you know not for for scopa's sake but luckily no one else was was hit what what were there any casualties no, fortunately, no one was hit, but there's been reports of children were uh, hiding in bathrooms, hiding in the kitchen area, and uh, parents were assuming that, that an active shooter was was in the hotel. So the images of some crazy guy randomly shooting people uh, for no for no good reason in a hotel, that, that's what people were fearing. That's how many shots were fired. Uh, you had people probably pay, praying for their lives as they hid in, uh, in, these, uh, in the bathroom and the kitchens of the, this hotel. So obviously, you know, a, a brazen shooting like that in a very public place where there's potentially hundreds of other people around, local officials and police uh, don't want to see a repeat of that, want to have a strong response to that. What was the community response after this shooting? Well, if about roughly uh, a week after, the, the Laval police announced that they'd had enough. Uh, Laval is, a, is, a, is a, an island city just north of Montreal, and, and unfortunately for them, the uh, a lot of people involved in the Montreal Mafia actually live in Laval. I've had information that uh, Leonardo Rizzuto, uh, again, alleged uh, leader in the Mafia, that he uses, um, there's an Italian cafe in Laval that he's using as his, uh, his hangout, or his base of operations, if you will. He's, he's, anyway, it's a place where he's seen frequently. The the battleground is basically in Laval, and since uh, 2012 or 2013, you have this uh, very high number of guys who are very very high up in the uh, in the mafia or in organized crime uh, who have been killed uh, in Laval, and the homicides have gone unsolved. And I, I think that's uh, I think that might have contributed to what the, the Laval police uh, their response. They've put together this task force where they've uh, teamed up with the Sûreté du Québec, the provincial police force, and the RCMP to share information and to uh, because their Laval police has become trained in uh, dealing with street gangs, and they're, they're mm-hmm. they have officers who are trained to go you know go into bars, go into places that are frequented by these guys, and they they note things. They they, they just take note of who's there, 
who they're hanging out with. They'll they'll check out license plates, try to find out if some guy's on parole or get some guys out on bail and shouldn't be hanging out there. It's like intelligence gathering. So they're going to be more focused on on the mafia. And the RCMP has the intelligence that they've collected from from decades of having investigated the the mafia in Montreal and, and in Canada. And the Certes Quebec, uh, who are investigating the homicides, so that that they're going to pool their resources and try to uh, to get this thing calmed down. So, is is it a hope just to kind of put a lid on some of the tensions that are going on, or to uh, solve some of these unsolved cases, or just to crack down on organized crime on the whole? What's the what's the goal of this task force? I think it's two things. One is to to solve the uh, the Scopa murder. Uh, I think they want to uh, bring someone in for this and, and get it solved. The, the, it'll help people feel safe, safer, knowing that uh, whoever did this uh, is, is brought to justice. But also, I think uh, it's 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 a personal theory of mine. But I've been thinking about it the past two weeks that that there's this um, this problem of not having solved uh, these murders. And it, it it's something that's brought up, even like the, the average Joe on the street brings it up to you. They'll go, uh, hey, you know, this guy, Rocco Solicito, who was murdered, uh, he was he was murdered within view of Laval Police Headquarters. Like probably the very last thing he saw through his windshield when he was shot was Laval Police Headquarters, just, you know, meters away <laughs> from where he was shot. And they've never solved that homicide. It, it, and... I heard at, at, on the day that he got shot that they had video of the guy who uh, they believe did it, carried out, and he, him walking away over several uh, several meters and uh, getting into some kind of vehicle and taking off. And they've, they've never released the video, never released images, and they still haven't made an arrest. To me, that, it, that's, that's quite striking. It, it bothers me that, that, that these murders have not, not – no one's been charged with these murders. It's, it's very unusual. It, it – to give you a contrast, there's there's been there have also been hits like that in Montreal, in this within the same time period, and the Montreal police have solved some of those uh, some of those homicides. Yet somehow, for some reason, for whatever reason, the ones that happen in Laval that get transferred to the Sûreté du Québec have not been solved. What is driving all of these killings? Uh, you you mentioned earlier about the mafia and the Hell's Angels and and other uh, criminals, kind of pooling their resources and, and operating as a kind of a big, happy uh, family distributing cocaine in Quebec. Is it rival organized crime groups uh, and they're fighting for turf? What is going on that's driving some of these killings? The theory is, is that it's probably an internal conflict within the mafia itself. Um, for in, for a variety of reasons in recent years, the, the uh, mafia have been using uh, street gang members to carry out their homicides. And some of them have been quite sloppy. That there, There's just a guy, uh, there's a guy right now on trial in Montreal for having tried to kill, it, it appeared to be a response killing to Rocco Slichto, the man I just mentioned previously. They wa- uh, The guy walks into the uh, this Italian cafe in Montreal and kills a, a completely innocent man who somewhat resembled the target they were after. And the target wasn't even in the cafe. <laughs> So, uh, and that, that has been solved. The one guy has been convicted by a, a jury and another guy's currently on trial before a judge. Probably I'll try to summarize it as best I can. Um, 
Vito Rizzuto, for years, was the head of the, the mafia in Montreal. Clearly the, the head. There was no dispute about that. Yeah, and then he died. That's right. Well, he, he in 2003, around 2004, he gets arrested for something that he had done long ago in New York. He gets extradited and sent. At the same time, his family is basically, his crime family is basically picked apart. He, they had set up a committee to take charge of, uh, to, to replace him when he went. And what, unbeknownst to them, there was already an investigation by the RC, led by the RCMP into, the, into that committee. And um, it exposed the, the Rizzuto organization in a way I'd never seen before. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but it basically destroyed the, uh, the Rizzuto family. So by 2009, all the arrests were made in 2006. By 2009, the family was decimated and, and uh, the body started to fall. Uh, I don't want to put it that bluntly, but it, th that's the way it was. Uh, Vito Rizzuto's father was killed. Um, his, his son was killed and his brother-in-law was kidnapped and has never, ever been seen since. Uh, so a lot of people uh, started to realize right away, all these guys who seemed untouchable, all of a sudden things were happening to them. This very, very complex conflict started happening. Guys who had, especially, even, especially guys who were the Calabrians, who had always been okay with Rizzuto because presumably they were making money with him, suddenly they're not so okay. And they want to suddenly, the Calabrians want to take charge again. And this uh, very, very complex alliance was formed. It didn't work out. Uh, it would take a very long time to describe it in detail, but it didn't work out. By the time that Vito Rizzuto came back, the path into around 2013, 2012, 2013. By the time his, uh, he came back, the path had already been partially cleared. Some guys, some guys in that conflict had canceled each other out. And he seemed to wisely know exactly who he had to get rid of in order to establish himself again as the leader. He did it, but by the time he did it, uh, he died of cancer. So there's a power vacuum after... Uh, Rizzuto's arrest in 2000, in the early 2000s, he goes to prison. Uh, there's a wave of violence while he's in prison. He gets out of prison, reestablishes some control, but then he dies. And then in the wake of the arrest of his, uh, the people who follow him, uh, his successors, the, there's another wave of violence amid a power vacuum in the Montreal mafia. That's right, but it, to me, it actually has been this long continuing drama, long saga since since two thousand nine. They have been canceling each other out, and uh, every time you think, "Oh, okay, it's over," there's peace. Finally, uh, something like this happens. Well, I know it's a it's a fascinating subject that it, you know it, it breaks out in in unfortunate waves of violence, but it is something that that captures the attention of Canadians for sure. Uh, Paul, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. 10-3 is produced by Carson Drama. Additional production from Dave Rudan. Thanks to my guest, Paul Cherry. More from him at MontrealGazette.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.